This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Showtime, folks. It's episode 53 of Game On here on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. I'm Johnny Montabano. That's Nick Morgison. Nick, good to see you today. How you doing? I'm doing good. Hopefully we can make it through without technical issues. Yeah, a little behind the scenes. This is take three for us here. But Nick, it's good to see you. Uh, filling in for a hand today. And Nick comes aboard on a pretty big show as always here. As uh, you know, we've got a lot to get to as we usually do. But of course, folks, we want to hear from you as well. Several ways for you to get aboard. Uh, you can check us out on our social media channels. We're on Facebook and Twitter at GameOnETB. We're on Instagram at GameOn underscore ETB. Our personal handle is right there. I'm at Montebano NY. Nick is at N Morgison Radio. And of course, check us out on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ETB Network. Where if you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, hit uh, make sure. If you're new, to hit the subscribe button, and as always, have your notification set so you know when all of our programming is going to be coming out. Now, the MMA Outsiders, Fruity Cereal, her show, and of course, Nick and Tom over at the main event at Empty the Bench. And of course, you can also check us out on our audio-only platforms, uh, wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. So plenty of ways to not only interact with the show, but to listen, watch all. All that said, Nick, we've got a lot to get to over the course of the show here today. Uh, we've got NBA playoffs. We've got uh, a head. We got a head coach fired in the NBA. We've got Stanley Cup playoffs. We've got a head coach fired in the NHL. We've got some baseball with regarding the New York Yankees, not in a good way, and we're going to get to that. And we even do have some Kentucky. Not only the winner, but a lot of stuff leading up to the Kentucky Derby. We've got an investigation where seven horses died at Churchill Downs, kind of a story that we've heard before. If you remember going back to the Santa Anita days, we've got the favorite where we had the favorite heading into the Derby on Saturday. Forte gets scratched, which may field in for the Derby in a few years. So a lot to get to over the course of the show, but Nick, we've got to tip things off here with the NBA playoffs, which, you know, the first round was had some upsets and some craziness. Well, we're starting to head down that road possibly again because we've got two series that are tied at two a piece that are about to tip off um, as we are uh, airing this show. We've got the Heat over the Knicks right now. They were up two games to one heading into uh, Monday night. And we've got the Lakers leading the Warriors two games to one heading into Monday night as well. So a possibility about the number eight seeded Miami Heat advanced East. And you've got possibly a lower seed heading out of the West there between the Lakers and the Warriors. But let's start with the two series that are going to tip off uh, tonight as this show is premiering. Sixers Celtics and Suns Nuggets. And Nick, the Sixers Celtics series started out with Embiid for the Sixers in game one. And I think when that happened, you didn't really get Philadelphia. It was hard to get Philadelphia a chance without the reigning MVP, with the current MVP there in Embiid. But you look at this. You look at this series so far, and when James Harden, your former buddy there with the Brooklyn Nets, when he steps, when step up, 
He did so in game one. They won. In game four, he did it again, and they won. Now, they got a little bit lucky there at the end because there was some you know, some poor uh, clock management there from Boston's side. But you look at this, this Sixers team, and they're giving, to me, the best team in the Eastern Conference a good run for their money right now. And this is all of a sudden now a best of three. Yeah, this series has been good. Everyone thought Boston was going to run away with this whole series, and <clears throat> Philly was not going to put up a fight. By the way, Joel, uh, Joel Embiid, obviously MVP, the NBA, well-deserved. Uh, I really didn't want to see Jokic win a third straight MVP. I thought that would have been ridiculous considering uh, the big year that Embiid had. By the way, if these were the rules of the coming uh, CBA agreement and also the uh, agreement they made with uh, load management, Joel Embiid or Jokic would have been ineligible to be the MVP this year anyway. So you had all that. Harden has come out and just owned it. I can't believe I'm saying this. Owned it in the playoffs for the most part so far. Hitting big shots. Hitting the big shot to send. I think he hit the big shot to hit uh, send them into overtime also yep. uh, for them to have the chance to win game four. I, I'm actually having legitimate thoughts that the Sixers could win this series. I really do. Because Boston is, I don't know what to say about the Celtics right now. They play good, they have their moments, and then there's some days where they just don't have it whatsoever. They're a very, like, hill and valley type team. You don't know what to expect. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And that's actually been one of the biggest surprises so far this postseason because I thought they they showed their dominance at times against the Heat. They show, I mean, against the Hawks in round one. At times, they've shown their dominance here against the Sixers, and that is not. And at times, that has not been the case. I mean, this to me was a very Boston to get through, but you know, you give Doc Rivers and Philadelphia a lot of credit because you know Doc's been through a lot here in his career, especially in the playoffs. He's been criticized a lot, but he has definitely, you know, got to give him got to give him some credit here with how he's taking this Sixers team, which not many people thought. We're going to give them a chance against Boston, especially when you found out that Joel Embiid was not going to play in game one. And again, Harden put them on their back and won game one and and game four, too. And all of a sudden now, this is the best of three to the point now where you look at the rest of the series. And I don't think there's really a lot of pressure on Philadelphia. I think all the pressure right now is on Boston when you look at it. Yes. And on top of that whole thing where, and I can't remember, what's the Celtics? Joe Mazzula, I think, is the head coach of the Celtics now. Yes. I, I don't like the way he's been handling the media. I don't like the way that he's been talking. He's very, I guess what they say, traditional coach where he's just going to keep doing the same thing and hope that it works. And he basically was coming up to me saying, I'm not the best coach. And like, you know what? That's quitter talk. If you ask me as a head coach, Doc Rivers has been down this road many times. Even though this series is 2-2, Doc Rivers has coached circles around Missoula so far in this series, making the right calls, making the right substitutions, having the right strategies. I really do think on with Doc, I think he's going to find a way to pull this series out with the Sixers. Now, the thing you have to be careful with is will James Harden have a game like he did in Houston in that game seven where, what do you go, like 0 for 18 or 0 for 20? And like he went 0 for an 0 for 10, like from three. And the Houston was like, oh, for like 30 something from three point range. I mean, like that's the thing you got to be careful with. But I think the Sixers are a much better built team in that regard who can put the ball down in the paint 
in my opinion, Embiid should have never played, what was it, game two? They forced him yeah. to play, or game three? It might have been game three. Like They forced him to play game three when he was hurt. They should have just sat him out and had him be ready for when they were traveling on the road. That would have been an extra two days of rest not playing. So I think the, I think the Sixers will pull that out. I do. So just looking at the, the – if you look at the series so far, and you were talking about uh, Harden's, uh, you know, his game seven struggles there with Houston. That's the thing, too, you look at this series. Is he going to have a 16 for 23 game in game four like he had in game four? Or are we going to see the Harden of games two and three where in game two he went two of 14 and in game three he went three of 14? Yeah, I'm not, which is just I'm not expecting much. I, I'd be careful, like leaning on Harden for a clutch performance. It's it's kind of funny because we're talking. We're going to get to this in the West too. But you look at the most probably the most inconsistent player, or one moment has and the next day has a dud, and that like Anthony Davis there with the Lakers, and now you and you see it here with Harden the Sixers. It, it it could be as he goes, the team goes. So if he if he has. I mean, there's going to be no coincidence that in game five and six, let's say he has a, a superstar performance, they're going to win. And if not, they're done. Right. But at the same time, and most people would never say this, but I actually think that Harden and Embiid are opposites attract opposites that don't attract in that sense. Usually you have a a guy who's a role guy who can shoot the three shoots from range can get into the paint and be aggressive. And then you have Embiid who's a center who wants to be aggressive down paint, but shoots long range. Like the two don't really fit together on a team. Embiid is the guy, but Harden is the one that's touching the ball all the time. Mm -hmm. So there's not a clear strategy for this team who they want on the ball who they want putting the ball in the paint. They just don't have it. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because you look at Boston too. One thing the Celt- one thing you notice with the Celtics here is they don't play deep rotation. I mean, they play eight guys, it seems like, a night. And, you know, it's going to be something we're going to talk about with the Knicks in a couple of minutes here about the fact that they don't play a deep ro- rotation. But, uh, yeah. And this is – so now all of a sudden this series could be going – it could look at – like a seven game series. And I tell you, the more I think about it, Nick, I think it's not crazy to think that the Sixers are going to pull this out. And I, and I would have said you would be nuts beforehand, especially without heart, without Embiid in game one, but it's been the Harden show. You know, they've also had some moments, you know, read their backup center did play well in game one, stepped up in a big way. Uh, you saw in game four, they had guys that stepped up too. also, let's be fair. They also did get pretty lucky there at the end. That's a half second difference. Um, is what really could also turn this whole series around. You know, if Celtics get that shot off a half second earlier, we're talking about 3-1 Boston. And then this is a totally different conversation we're talking about on the show today. Which is crazy, because like I said, the Celtics... And here's the issue I have. Like, everybody, oh my God, the Celtics, the best team. Can can we stop? Like, the Celtics the last couple of years, even though they've been at the top, they've been a one seed a few times, they're not finishing in the playoffs. They're Right now, they're a regular season number one seed is what I call it. They're not a playoff one seed and playing like one. They got to win. They're not making it to the end. Yeah, now, I, mean, I know they made it that one year, but right now, like, even though I like Tatum, he's going to be, he, I think, will be a face of the league one day. But there are times when he goes cold still. So, yeah, 
I like Jalen Brown also, by the way. I think he's a great role player. I wouldn't say he's an all-star by any means. He's a really good player. He fits in with that team. I don't know if you put him on another team, if he would really fit with the chemistry of another team. And uh, who am I forgetting? The Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, who I like. I like that he's a gritty player. We don't see very many gritty NBA players anymore because of the rules. You're not allowed to be gritty NBA player anymore. But he kind of reminds me, and this is going to sound odd, but just follow my logic. He reminds me a little bit of Ron Artest. Mm. Because Ron Artest could score at will when he wanted to. But like DeMarcus Smart, really good defensive player in every way, shape, or form. Defensive player of the year. But DeMarcus Smart could also score and put up 30 at any given moment. And you would be like, wait, I didn't know he could put up 30. Yeah, because he could. When he gets his moments, he's going to put the ball in the basket. So, well, I th- I think I tell you, I look at the rest of the series, and you know, but when we're back here next week, we will have a, a result. It's really all going to. I know it's it comes down to this: if Harden's going to go off like he's been going off, then the Sixers are going to win the series. Yes, if he lays another dud, I think Boston will pull it out. That being said. Boy, I don't know, because if this does go seven, all the pressure in the world is going to be on Boston. Now, I mean, of course, yes. at the same time, you could say, you look at the Sixers side, you know, can Doc Rivers get over the hump? Can James Harden get over the hump? I get that. But if you're the Celtics and, you know, the, the Bucks got knocked out in the first round, it looked like you were in a very favorable spot. Yes, and we'll get to a whole situation with the Bucks in a little bit. Yeah, we- but but the Bucks were a disappointment. The Bucks should have gone through way further than they played. Again, another good regular season team. They proved themselves. They won a title with Giannis, with Giannis keyword. Even when Giannis is not healthy, that team does not roll at all. And then I always forget the the second guy who's the star on that team. I don't know why I keep forgetting. Middleton? Middleton. I keep forgetting because he doesn't play as he much. He's getting hurt. hurt. So on on that team, when they both play together, it is a championship winning team. Yeah. When they're both hurt, they're beatable. And you know what's what? And I said this on the show last week, Nick. You look at the Miami Heat. To me, they're an eight. They're an eight seed in number only because I actually think they're. I, and look, I'm a Knicks fan. We're going to get to this in a couple moments. I actually was not really that comfortable playing Miami, and and we've seen that. You know, there have been times that Miami's just stifled the Knicks. Miami is an old is kind of an old school kind of basketball team when you look at it because they they're not they're not fast they take their time with the with the ball you know a lot of the shot clock and they they've got a star you know the, Miami very quietly for an eight seed has a star they've got Jimmy Butler they've got good role players and they're doing this without Tyler Hero which is incredible and again we'll get to the, the series in just a second but Miami's an eight seed in number only they they've been able to you know shock a lot of teams and it's just we don't see this in the NBA because usually home court means something. Usually, if you're a one seed, it's because you've got a star player and they produce. I mean, that's what it is. It's only been eight times, it's six times in the in NBA history where an eight seed is upset a one seed. Right, and on top of that, <clears throat> Tom Albano from the show I do on ETV came up with a great stat. I think it was this round, like first time in history, maybe that the seeds were all one through eight that made it through like it's a rarity you don't see that ever Mm -hmm. no it's it's extremely rare but 
just looking at some of these series where, especially Miami and the Knicks, but I, like you said, sometimes a seed is only a number. And you look at Miami. Miami is actually a pretty good team. People don't give them enough credit over the season. I know they had injuries. I know Tyler Hero was hurt. I think Duncan Robinson was hurt at one point. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Butler. By the way, of all stars in the league, Jimmy Butler plays through injuries. I don't want to hear it because in, what was it? Game two that he or was it game? I don't remember which game it was. Game three that he played through the leg injury, like basically was hobbling around on the court. Yeah. And they still won because they he stayed out on the floor. Well, let's also remember just in the Knicks Heat series, he gets hurt in game one. It doesn't seem like they miss a beat. He doesn't play in game two. And they maybe, lost. Yeah. And maybe he would have played if they didn't win game one. You know, they kind of gave him that break because they stole home court advantage. And then he comes back and he's active for game three and he goes off. I mean, it, no coincidence there. But yeah, I mean, he doesn't use injuries as an ex- as an excuse. By the way, and I know people give Jimmy Butler a bad rap. People should be following Jimmy Butler's example. The only time he sits out is when he's legitimately hobbled over and can't walk. Yeah, you think Philadelphia wants him back? Maybe. I mean, I think he's a better fit for Philadelphia than James Harden at times. But <sighs> yeah, because James Harden is kind of like a a shoot and run type guy. I think I think you're right. I think Harden's a one dimensional player. I think. Butler's a multi-dimensional player. Also, he'll pass the ball. Now, let me be careful because Harden, I think, a couple of years in the league led the league in assists, if I'm not mistaken. But Jimmy Butler is a team guy. People give him a, a bad rap because he basically went where the money was, even though Miami's not a bad place to be and they're a good team for most years. But he proved being the, the all-star and the veteran to get that team up and going. They were not supposed to be this far in the playoffs. It's him that's making that team go. Mm-hmm. So people just got to relax. I mean, I I think Miami's now going to win this series to be honest, but yeah. I, that and I'll get to that series in just a moment here, but I just had to make that comparison there. But yeah, so I think Nick the way things are looking right now, I think Sixers and Celtics is going 7. I just I think the way it is and gosh, I tell you, you know, if it does come down to a game 7, you know, you almost have to give Doc Rivers the advantage because you're, uh, Celtics have, the coach hasn't been through this before. Right. And I told you, I don't like the energy of Missoula. I think he's a little, yeah. it's kind of inexperienced as a head coach. Now, let me be careful because people are going to say, well, you did have Ime Yudoka. To fi- you had to fire him. I don't, I don't want to hear these excuses anymore. Ime Yudoka is going to get it. I think he actually got a job, what, with Houston now? Houston, yeah. <laughs> Which. He went from being in the ceiling to the to the gutter, but that's a whole different issue for another day. But Missoula is a young coach; he has not been here before, at least as a head coach. So, one, I guess you got to cut him some slack, even though it is the playoffs. But he's got to control himself in front of the media, yeah. big time. And the outside of the team as Boston does have, right? It does. It does. That's where we start seeing the coaching make a big difference. Sometimes you can you can survive that in the regular season, but in the playoffs, it's a whole different it's a whole different story. So I think it goes seven, and I still want to give the Celtics the advantage. But I got to tell you, I mean the way things are, it's it's hard to say that. But I think we are looking at a seven game series there between the, the Sixers and the Celtics. But the others, I'll tell you what though, as much as I'm surprised about that. I'm equally as surprised about the Suns and the Nuggets being tied at two because 
the Nuggets jump out to a two game, jump out and win the first two games. Then we find out that Chris Paul got hurt again in the playoffs and didn't play in game three. And I really thought that, that this was going to be the golden chance for for uh, Denver to pull away in this series. But you know what? You have to give Phoenix credit too. Uh, you know that the tough part about the Suns this year is you want to talk about Booker and Durant and play a lot together. And Durant even pretty much said that uh, after game four, that, you know, they're still trying to find their chemistry together. But the thing is, at the same time, Jokic can do it all and it's still not enough. You know, he has games where he goes off for 39 and 16, like we've seen in the series. We saw him in game four go off for 53. But if Jamal Murray is not following suit, it's a one-person show, and nobody, and I don't care who you are, there is no superstar that can single-handedly win a series anymore. It's I just, mean, I, that's the reality. You know, LeBron, even you can say that about LeBron, you, LeBron who took by himself, took the Cavs to the finals against the the Spurs, couldn't get it done. I mean, we did see, uh, you know, him with Kyrie there come back from 3-1 down against the Warriors. We get that. But Kyrie also did contribute in a big way in that series, too. But it's hard when it's just one person. I mean, it's ironic that you say that considering James Harden tried to do it with Houston all those years. I mean, you, that's why they tried to bring in Chris Paul, ironically. Yeah. to it, And let's see how that worked out. Oops, it didn't work out in Andrew. Game 7. Um, but I don't know. The, the Suns... And people are going to throw stuff at me. But I don't think the Suns are as good as people say they are. And it's we say this a lot. Well, look at all the names. Look at all on paper. Okay, people forget something here. You don't play the games on what? Paper. Okay. We and, don't play the games on paper. So yeah. you got to play the games to win. You, you could draw up on... Or my favorite is people make this joke. Well, if you simulate this series, this amount of times, uh, for the most part, it's going to come out a certain way. Well, yeah, because the percentage, because the percentages tell you that based on a roster, a team's going to win. But if you don't play the games in reality, you don't know what's going to happen. And Nick, the one thing to that, to that point is you could simulate these games all you want. They don't factor in the chemistry because you can have all those names. Chemistry is so big. I mean, everybody was talking about, when my Knicks had Carmelo Stoudemire, that that should have been a team that was good enough to go all the way. And you know what? Those they never gelled. That that's that's it. A chemistry is so important. You can have all the names in the world, but you know what? If they don't if they don't produce, if they don't have the chemistry, then it's not going to get it done. And you know what? The Suns actually did the Nets a favor. Now Nets fans are going to hate me for saying that, but they did them a favor because there's a bunch of young pieces on that organization that are going to get destroyed by the ego of KD, in my opinion. And I actually think it was worse. Even though the Suns needed somebody to make the team better, KD and Booker are very odd when it comes to their own egos and their own power trips and the way they handle stuff. I don't know if that's exactly a good gel when it comes to chemistry, Durant and Booker. Are they great players? Are they all-stars? Yes, but KD needs to touch the ball a lot. Him and Harden, and I and I always laugh at this because people like are, try to compare Harden to KD or or vice versa. They both touch the ball. They're touch ball players, is what I call them. They have to always have the ball in their hands to be successful. Mm-hmm. 
And like yeah. I noticed, and I noticed also like with Durant, and Durant got hurt again. Durant's starting to get that reputation of being hurt a lot. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, this series is kind of up in the air. I thought as soon as the Nuggets won the first two games, I thought this was going to be a blowover because the Suns just have no chemistry and are falling apart. But somehow they managed to win the next two games. So again, it comes down to uh, who had the home field. So Nugget, the Nuggets are going to have the last two out of three games. Yes, I, I think home court is going to decide this. So I think this is probably going to go seven. Also, yeah, I'm really surprised that it is. I, I really thought that this was that Denver was going to take this series pretty handily. But yeah, it's been a, it's been. You look at two two big wins by Denver by Denver at home, and then two close wins by Phoenix at home. That's what we've seen so far. But also, Book uh, Devin Booker has definitely turned it up these last two games. You know, forty seven and thirty six in games three and four, and. But that's another issue, though. So the other issue you're going to run into, though, is if they don't score, then the the biggest issue was the bench and the second unit with the Suns. Because if Booker doesn't put up 40, if Durant doesn't put up 30 or 40, Chris Paul is now out. I think he's going to miss... Uh, uh, what did they say? He's going to miss three and four, so he'll probably be back for five. Um, if they don't score, they're not going to win. That's just how it is. The The Suns have been like this. If you look back throughout the decade or the last two decades, they're a run and score team, and they don't play defense at all. That that goes all the way back to Mike D'Antoni being the head coach of the Suns. Yeah. Uh, and Mike D'Antoni could be the guy that started this whole transformation in the NBA about the three-point shot, the offense, no defense. or Or shooting in the first six seconds of the shot clock. Yeah, that's that's been it. So I mean, if you would look at influential people in the NBA, you much you, as much as you want to talk about Steph Curry, it really was D'Antoni who started that, who started all of that. Well, he, it's just Curry, just absolutely, you know, he's the one that just puts those unbelievable shots together. I mean, I would. So you're right. I would say Curry started the three point revolution, but I would say that D'Antoni started the run and gun part of of basketball. Hey, mm-hmm. hey! If you can catch a team that's not on the run back when you get the rebound in the first six, seven seconds of the shot clock, that's your best time to score. Even though I don't believe that all the time, sometimes you have to be able to play in the half court set if you're trailing to build on and build a streak of points. But I don't know. I I don't think the Suns win this series. I think this is going to go seven. I think it's going to end in Denver. Well, see, so. here's the here here when I look at the rest of the series. Here's what I would look at. Can Jokic get enough from Murray, or is Booker and Durant going to get enough to complement each other? Like, which team is going to get the complementary second player? Now, with again, with the Phoenix, you could say either Booker's that second player or Durant is. I still think it's Booker's team, but who's going to get more out of their second player? Is it going to be Denver with Murray, or is it going to be Phoenix with Durant? I mean, if I'm going to go on track record, Denver has not proven themselves yet. So. I think it's going to be the Suns just because Denver cannot finish in the playoffs right now. They have not proven it. They were a number one seed the past couple of years, and they have not gotten out of the second round. So even though I'm not enamored with the Suns by any means, but I just don't think Denver has not proven it yet. And that's why I I gave the Lakers and the Warriors a shot to get out of the West this year, because I, I agree with you. I don't know if Denver has enough to get it to get out of, uh, 
the whole Western Conference. I mean, Jokic I mean, is great, but you know, as much as it's about your stars, you need that second player. And it's not it doesn't necessarily have to be a superstar, but it needs to be a, a good enough player to get it done. And a lot of these teams have that, but I don't know if Denver does. And again, that's good enough in the regular season. I, we don't know if it's good enough in the postseason. And the conferences, we've talked about this a lot on the show, how much the conferences have, have flip-flopped, how the West is now not that strong of a conference and the East is. It used to always be the other way around. Right. And I, I would say Jokic putting up 53 points and losing is not good. You, no. your, your star put up 53 points and you lost the damn game. You can't do that. If if he's putting up 53 points and you're not winning the game, what else can he freaking do to lead that team to victory? Well, you got to get – I mean, I'm just going to look at the box score here real quick. When you look at – I mean, first off, they're only playing eight players, and one of them played less than 10. And that's something we're going to get to with the Knicks in just a second here. But you, if you look at them – now, he did get 28 points from Jamal Murray. That's the thing here too. So – of Denver's 104 points that they got, 124 points, I should say, they got it in game four. 81 of them were from Jokic and Murray. You know, they it's amazing. They have no bench whatsoever. It's all it's all the starting lineup. Right. Denver's and never some, had a and bench. The thing is, and, you know, in the NBA playoffs, teams that usually have a deep, enough roster are the ones that go far. So your starting five can be fantastic, but you know, what is, what's, what's one of the things that the Knicks actually had an advantage over the, over the Cleveland Cavaliers in the last series, they had a deeper team. They had a bench as much as the starting five was the advantage was with Cleveland. They didn't have a deep enough team and the Knicks did. And now we're seeing that, that I don't think the Knicks have a deep enough team here against Miami. We're going to get that series in just a second here, but I watch you. So the Nuggets who are playing pretty much, if you look at it, a seven-man group, and you look at the uh, you you look at Phoenix here, and it's Durant, it's Booker, it's Shamit who had nineteen points in thirty minutes. So, I mean, that's that's something to watch here. You know, right. Shamit came off the bench, played thirty minutes, and scored nineteen points. So that's what I'm saying right there. Right there, you give Phoenix the advantage. Yes, you would give the Suns the advantage, you would think, because they're going to run a deeper bench. But if, like I said, if if Durant and Booker don't score, it's not going to matter how deep your bench is. Yeah, that's true. That's fast. It's a fascinating thing out there between the Suns and the Nuggets, and you know those games will be played on Tuesday. And when we're here next week, that series ends up. Now, the Heat and the Knicks, we're recording this on Monday, so it was two games to one going into game four Monday night. The, the one thing I'll say this about this as a Knicks fan, you look at this series so far, and Jimmy Butler's killing the Knicks, there's no question. But what's also killing the Knicks is themselves. And when I say that, I'm talking about their shooting, their shots, and they cannot they cannot convert. Here's 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 the bottom line. When I looked at I watched game three leading into the derby i thought oh you know what had a long day let me kick back 3:30 great start time leading into the derby right so i was looking so forward to watching this game but i watched rj barrett i watched uh jalen brunson shoot a combined 31% you know you can't win like that nope you cannot win also we talk about also about the nba how this is a three point league Knicks went 8 of 40 
from three-point range. It was their worst. It was the most misses they had in a playoff game in, in their franchise history. Yeah. Can't win like that, Nick. I mean, no, that's that's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, and you and I have had this conversation, I, and I've been listening and watching a lot of the Nick playoff games. I mean, to be honest, though, I, they, I think they took way too many threes in the series against uh, the Cavaliers. But since the Cavaliers were just on such a poor offensive streak in that series, that's why the Knicks were able to pull away and win that series. Also, Donovan Mitchell looked like a mess, but that's a whole different story for another day. Um, you can't get away with long stretches of offense not happening against Miami. Miami is going to score. Jimmy Butler is going to score. So, and Miami's going to play more defense than the Cavaliers are going to play. So, the three, the, I think I even said to you uh, in passing while we were watching these games, the Knicks are shooting too many threes. Yeah. You they're can't win. too many, and they're not making it. Also, it's, doesn't it seem like they shoot quick and Miami does not? Miami, ironically, knows how to play the half-court set. That's what they're going to do. The Knicks need to play more of the half-court set. And also, you would think with younger, fresher legs that they'd be running this Miami team up and down the court. They're not doing it. Yeah. Other me also about game three was, you know, you had four days off because remember, they had that extra time off because they were trying to get the other series to catch up to them because they started while some series were still ending the first round. They played game one Sunday, game two on Tuesday, and then they had four days off before they played game three. So that's what really just like, bothered me is that you had four days off and this is the kind of crap that you sh- you saw in game three. The fact that you know they're hoisting up shots, their big players are not scoring and, and shooting terribly. Now, the Knicks had not been really a good three-point shooting team this season but it gets magnified that much more in the playoffs and when you're rushing your shot and you look at Miami who always looks like they're taking the shot clock down to like the last eight or seven seconds and then they're converting. I mean, that's not a good combination. And right. also one other thing that this series has shown too is free throw shooting too has been the difference. Right. I mean, when you look at this series, when the Knicks panic, they put up more threes, not less. And, and that's not just a case that that's a case of what we said, like with Steph Curry, shoot the three, shoot the three, shoot the three. The Knicks are not in that mode. They're not the best three point shooting team. So forcing more of them up is going to make, it worse, and it makes the lead get bigger, not smaller. But everyone thinks that with the three-point range of today, oh, we'll just make it up in two minutes if we score six or seven threes, and we'll be fine. The Knicks don't operate that way. They're a big man-type team in the paint, and they just don't operate. First of all, Barrett's got to stop overshooting, just overshooting, overshooting, overshooting. And that, it looked like he was starting to finally fix that towards the last week or two of the season and then into the Cleveland series. And now it looks like it's right back to the old ways. This is looking a lot like the Hawks series of two weeks ago, two years ago. Right. And when, and then Trey young just totally obliterated them. Absolutely. And, and, and Jimmy Butler minus the antics of young Jimmy Butler is like Trey young in the series. I mean, again, if Jimmy Butler plays in game two, I don't think the Knicks would have won a game in this series. I, I agree. You know, I say it as a Knicks fan and, I, there's a reason why I was not confident about them playing Miami. Now, you know, there are some people that you see on sports radio that were got to be very cocky and say the Knicks can make the finals now. I'm like, guys, you cannot overlook the Miami Heat here. Just because they're an eight seed, you know, 
there's a there's a reason why they're in this spot. They took out the number one seed in the Eastern Conference in the in the Milwaukee Bucks. And well, let's let's be careful about they have one star thing, player in Giannis that the Knicks don't have anything anywhere near. Let's be careful about one thing though. Like even though like people are saying like Miami beat Milwaukee the one seed, though if I had to give them one thing, obviously Giannis was not healthy of for one part of that. Not that I'm giving the Bucks an excuse for losing the series, but it obviously didn't help. If Giannis is healthy, that series goes a different way, in my opinion. But and if Middleton is healthy, that series goes a different way. Because we've seen those two guys lead a team all the way to the finals and win. But Miami is no slouch whatsoever. Miami might have a chance to go to the finals this year again, the way they're playing. You could, I, I, if Miami gets past the Knicks, I, I could easily give them a chance against Milwaukee, against Boston and or Philadelphia. First of all, I think Miami could outrun Philadelphia, especially James Harden, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, who's got injuries still, I don't think he's 100% healthy by any means. So I think they could beat Philadelphia. Celtics, that would be an interesting series because those two can run each other up and down the court, and it's a battle of uh, attrition at that point to see who can stay out there longer. So, yeah. I mean, if, if the Knicks hit their shots, then they could be in the series. But, it, like, we don't know what the result of game winning this. But I would imagine that if we're seeing more of what we've seen with them and Butler's continuing to go up and down and kill the, kill the Knicks, this series is not going to go more than five at this point. And again, Jalen Brunson, who has been fantastic all season, to have two to have a rough game one and a rough game three, no coincidence. Julius Randle, who I think is trying way too hard sometimes. And you know, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be an oxymoron or, or contradict because you know there are times where you know you question it and then it's like he's trying too hard, but you know, his shots have been off. I mean, when you look at the Knicks here, Josh Hart's been a, has been the savior, really, when you look at it. And again, that was such an under the radar kind of pickup at the trade deadline, but he has been so great for them. And he seemed to be the only one that actually had a good game in uh in game three there on Saturday in Miami. Right, and the Knicks got blown out, like in the worst way you could possibly get. It blown wasn't out. close. I mean, every. I mean, before you blinked, it was they were down double digits, and they just never got into it. I mean, I was waiting. You know what I was waiting for? In typical Knicks fashion, they would be down fifteen, go on this tremendous run to cut it to three, and then you're like, "Bam! All right, we're back at it." And then you know what happens? Boom! Before you blink, it's back to ten or fifteen because you spend all your energy in the world to come back to, and then you're completely exhausted and Miami goes right back down and makes it a double digit game again. I mean, let's be honest as a Knicks fan, how many times we've seen that in the 21st century that, you know, they'd be down 20 or 30 points. They make a huge run to make it close. And then it's right back in square one again. I mean, it would have been tough. Even if they won this round, it would have been tough after this round to get to the finals, to be honest. Um, I mean, be happy. This is the first time we made it to the second round in how long? It's been 10 years since 2012-2013 that they got to the second round. Okay, so let's be happy because the 10 years in between of that was brutal. Like, <laughs> the Knicks fans yeah, were, it, were not seeing good product. This this has been a successful season. If you're the Knicks, I mean, you've got to be happy with what has happened. Would it suck to lose to the Heat? Absolutely. Because, But, I mean, considering where they were, I mean, we had a lot of question marks with them last season, but you look at them right now, now, I mean, they've got their guy. They got their point guard finally. It took twenty or thirty years, but we got our damn point guard in Jalen Brunson. You know, you've got Randall, who I still like. 
I, I like Josh Hart. I mean, that was such an under the radar kind of pickup. He's been great. You know, uh, Barrett. I'm still. I still think Barrett's going to be all right. Mitchell Robinson's a very solid guy, center. You know, good defensive player gets rebounds, block shots. I mean, some. So your foundation is kind of there. See, that's why if you're the Knicks, you. It wasn't the worst thing in the world if you didn't get Donovan Mitchell because you would have had to trade those players, some of those players to get him. The Knicks were not getting him for just draft picks. As much as we wanted that, as much as I said in the offseason here in game on, that I would have taken Donovan Mitchell if it was for draft picks. Danny Ainge was not going to do that. He was going to try and fleece the Knicks every way possible. Look at what he did with Rudy Gobert. Now, Gobert, he got four picks. Well, technically five first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. And look at the headache that's caused Minnesota. Well, I would say that Danny Ainge is probably one of the top executives in all of the NBA who – knows how to make these deals, knows how to negotiate. That's why the Celtics were so good for as long as they did. He also was kind of, I don't know if I want to say them. I would say it's technically Miami and the Celtics who really made that big three thing for about, what, seven, eight years really be a thing where the Celtics got uh, Garnett and Pierce and Allen and really didn't expend a lot of cap value or pick value through it. The Knicks, on the other hand, they were so obsessed over the last decade or to 15 years of we want LeBron and we want Wade and we want Bosch, and, which, and they were willing to spend a King's ransom without even realizing it. And it, why do you think people made fun of the Knicks draft class over the last decade? Because they kept expanding picks on people they didn't need. Uh, now you look at this this group, this no coincidence. Barrett was a Knicks was a they drafted third overall, and he, it turns out he might be the best guy of those three. When you look at the fact that uh, Zion can't stay on the court, and John Morant right now looks like he's in free fall mode, so they might have gotten the right one there. You know, Mitchell Robinson they drafted solid guy there. You know, Grimes another draft pick. Maybe he's part of the future too. They were remember that was part of the thing too. They didn't want to give him up or McBride either. So I mean, they they're doing the right thing, and they finally got the point guard. So I, I trust what they're doing. I do trust Thibodeau, although some of his stuff has been questionable. I think you've got to you got to keep him there. I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of changing the coach every three years. I mean, it doesn't help with the development of the young players. I, I think Thibodeau is the right guy for New York team in that sense, and you kind of need that now with how you know deep this Eastern Conference is. I mean, the one thing I'll say about Thibodeau is he's a defensive minded coach. That's just the fact of the matter of it. You're not going to see him drawing up offensive play schemes on that clipboard when you when you they're calling timeouts. That's going to be whoever's uh, in charge of running the offense. Um, I I thought he fit better with the Bulls because the Bulls were a defensive-minded team when he really was there. And those guys, they were offense but defense first. So it'll be curious because the Knicks don't play defense, and that's what kind of frustrates me watching them at times where – they're so focused on the offensive side of the ball, they forget, oh, wait, we got to get some stops on the defensive side of the ball. Well, I think they have some guys. I mean, I think Robinson's a good defensive player. I mean, I don't think they have enough of it, but I think Robinson's at least a good start. And I like the fact that they extended him and they did not include them in that potential trade for Donovan Mitchell. Well, I think Mitchell is way overvalued, in my opinion. I think, like, Mitchell's a good player. He's a star. But he was a star in Utah with Rudy Gobert. They both were good together. Now they're not together. Like you said, Minnesota's been a headache. And yeah. Cleveland like was good, but they have a lot to prove. 
Yeah, and they're young though, Cleveland. That's that's why I actually liked him going to Cleveland because they still got a good young team around him. Like some of his other younger play, uh, play stars there are younger players, like you know Mobley and Garland. I mean, they're they're young players, so they, Cleveland will be there for a while. So that's and why was, I thought I thought it was a better fit going to Cleveland. And who was the guy from the Nets that they got in the trade? Who I Jared Allen. He I. I love him. I thought he was great. I was mad when the Nets traded him. Oh, I him agree. No, I I know. But that's you know, it's funny because I think the Nets actually made out great with the Garnett trade. Oh, with the Garnett trade. Jeez, I'm going back with those days. The uh, Durant <laughs> trade. So yeah. I, I so that's we'll see. But the Heat do get past the Knicks, and we're in post mortem next week. It's been a successful season, long term. Yes. That's what you got to look at. It'll be frustrating, but at the same time, growing pains. That's what's going on. I think it's been successful. I'll say one more thing, Knicks fans. It's been 10 years since you made a second round. 10 years. Just remember that. They have been one of the worst teams in the 21st century in sports. That's right. That's I mean, pretty accurate. You look at every team in the NBA, in the NFL, in Major League Baseball, and the and National Hockey League. And you tell me a team that's been worse than the Knicks. I, I, the only one I can think of off the top of my head in the NFL has been the Cleveland Browns. I'm, right. I mean, I mean, there's how many? I mean, how many others can you say, tell me right now? You look at the Knicks resume and you tell me how many teams have been worse than the Knicks, who won one before this year, only got out of the first round once in the in the 21st century. I mean, I can't think of much. I mean, maybe Pittsburgh, the Pirates, maybe. Well, maybe, but I mean, they uh, they had a 90 plus win campaign one year. The Royals, you could say that they won a World Series. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say you really can't right? do that. I mean, maybe you want to say the Pittsburgh Pirates, perhaps. I'll give you that, but this is, bottom line is it's not many. They're they're right down there, bottom three. But yeah, so that's what's but, going on. And then the Lakers and the Warriors yeah. series that's going on right now. You know that series is just crazy because I look at probably the most inconsistent superstar in basketball in Anthony Davis, and, and both going then the Lakers are unstoppable. But there's a reason why I thought Golden State had one more shot in them too because because Thompson, Curry, and Green are going to go one more – are going to give this one more ride. I really do. And even though they weren't that great, in, in the Sacramento Kings series that they couldn't do a lot of in the regular season, that was win a road game, and they did it twice. I mean – that was a heck of a performance, heck of a performance last week by Stephen Curry with a fifty-point performance, which you guys talked about last week against Sacramento on the road in Game Seven. I mean, that was big, and that just goes to show you how big of a playoff performer Steph Curry is as a person. Um, I'm not a fan of Draymond Green anymore. I I think he's kind of on the other side of his playing career at this point. Don't get me wrong. Draymond Green will always go down as a guy that was aggressive defensively, clutch when needed. Maybe not the greatest person, but that's a whole nother story for another day. Um, But this is a series of can AD stay healthy for the Lakers? And he's already run out of gas already through uh, what game are we up to? Four or five? Actually, game. Uh, yeah, they're playing, they're playing game four on Monday. I mean, they got blown out in game three, the the Warriors. That right. can't happen. The And this is going to sound terrible to Laker fans. The Lakers 
are not a good team. They're not a good team. I know everyone's saying like they have a chance to go to the NBA Finals. They're going to get destroyed by whoever's on the Eastern Conference side if they make it to the finals. Well, it's funny because the look at the series we've had a we've had a huge blowout by the Warriors in one game. We've had a huge blowout by the Lakers in one game. For the Warriors, it's you know you talk about the three point shot and they made what was it twenty one three pointers in game one and twenty one in game two. They live or die by the three pointer. That's how it started. Why do you think the Warriors for a stretch? What was it? Three titles in five years or something? They won. Mm-hmm. It's because they had Stephen Curry, who broke a record for threes in that time span, just was making them. He's a shooter. That's what Steph Curry is known for, being a shooter. Yeah. And, and when he doesn't shoot, they don't win. And also, you got to control turnovers in game three to the, the Lakers as well. I still think at the end of the day that I think Golden State's going to get out of the series, but it's something to watch here, too. If, if you know, Anthony Davis is so inconsistent. You know, he, he you realize that he's never had back-to-back 20-point games. You know, it's, it's not crazy. the that's not, you know, a great star a great star player doesn't have that. I mean, and I hate to say this, but I'm not a big fan of AD. I never even when he was what was it when he was with the Pelicans organization. Yeah. Which was really I don't know, what were they before the Pelicans? I don't even remember what they were. The New Orleans, it was the New Orleans Hornets before they became the Pelicans, and then he, you know, he was really the, back. Yeah, he was really when the Hornets were a thing before they went bankrupt and mm-hmm. whatnot. But <clears throat> AD has always been an inconsistent player. Always, he's always been hurt. He's always been an inconsistent guy. I, he's a star because he's six foot whatever, and he can shoot for range. But he hasn't really shown that with the Lakers. And <clears throat> I know everyone's like, "Oh, well, the Lakers won." I don't give them credit for that championship. Come on. Like it was in a bubble where <laughs> everyone ha- was on the same even footing. And yeah, that was when Le- and that was when what was that? LeBron's first year or second year with the Lakers when they won in the bubble? I believe it was his second. That's when LeBron still had fresh legs and he's not approaching 40 years old and <clears throat> this team is old. It doesn't have the right pieces and just doesn't fit as an organization. So I see the Warriors pulling this out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I still think it's gonna be Nuggets Warriors. And I'll tell you right now, if it's Nuggets Warriors, if if it's Nuggets Warriors, I think you've got to give Golden State a huge advantage in that series because they're much deeper than, than Denver is. I mean, if that's the case, Jokic is gonna to have to put up 80 points a game if they want a chance to win, which we'll still know. might not be enough. But yeah, we'll we'll find out. I I think this I think the conference finals should be set by next week's show so we will let we will definitely look into that a lot more next week as well you know we've got one more basketball story before we 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 transition here and nick kind of brought it up uh, a little while ago but uh mike boonholzer the head coach of the milwaukee bucks and i had posed this actually on the show i think it was last week too would boonholzer's job be in, in trouble with the bucks being eliminated as early as they were and that's exactly what happened and you know it when you look at how successful they've been in the regular season Season, they haven't been able to transition that into the playoffs, Nick. I mean, I'm actually not really that surprised that Budenholzer got out. Right. And the way I look at Budenholzer, I first of all, I think this is unfair in every way, shape, or form. He didn't lose this series. Uh, they lost the series because Giannis was not healthy. 
So you can't blame this on him. You really can't blame this on him. But still, I mean, when you have Giannis, I mean, when you have him there and you have Boone Holzer, who was 271 and 120 in the regular season with the Bucs, but including 58 and 24 this year before they fell in five to the Heat. Now, granted, like you said, Giannis left game one early, missed games two and three with a bruised lower back. It's, you know, you can make you can make the case that uh, it it could have been his fault. It could not have been. But, I mean, you're, when you're as successful as you are in the regular season and deep playoff run in any of those years, it's it's you almost could see them trying to have that coach who can be as consistent in the regular season and, and the postseason. It's hard okay, to but, do. But who are you bringing in there, though? That, he was a really good coach. Nick Nurse, I think, is the first guy I think about right away. You know, Nick Nurse, who had success there in Toronto, Toronto, Toronto win did have Toronto win a series or two. I was surprised that Nurse didn't go to Houston when when he was out there. And I know you were surprised when Nurse got fired in Houston. So I mean, in, uh, in, in Toronto. So couldn't you see that he's probably going to he's the biggest name that's out there right now? I mean, I think Nurse kind of dodged a bullet not ending up in Houston because that organization is going nowhere right now. And I yeah. and you know what, Ima Yudoka needs to suffer a little bit based on the allegations that went down with him so he's let's just say you Yudoka was lucky to get a job as soon as he did after the allegations went down but Bruno's is a good coach he's not gonna go without a job for very long he will end up somewhere um I do think Nick Nurse would be a good fit in Milwaukee because Milwaukee because he's already got championship pedigree from Toronto That's right so if you put him on a team where Giannis is the star and hopefully Middleton can come back and be healthy then that could be a dangerous team with Nick Nurse being a head coach there. Yeah. Now, with the Bucks, you know, you Brooke Lopez, who was the runner-up to Jaron Jackson Jr. and the defensive player of the year voting, is a free agent. Chris Middleton could become a free agent if they don't pick up the $40.4 million option for next year. And Giannis, two years plus a 2025-26 player option remaining in a Supermax deal that he signed in December of 2020. So right. really, when you look at it, how long is the Bucks window? It's not as long as you think. And of course, you know the rumors are already coming out that oh, Giannis to the Knicks possibly. Guys, let's let's pipe that down, please. Stop. Yeah, stop seriously, me, stop. Stop giving me hope once again. I mean, yeah, Knicks should have probably got, I remember skipped over Giannis. I mean, he, when he got drafted, but it, the rumors are always that these players go to the Knicks. Now, granted, I think the Knicks are in a little bit of a better spot than they've been in the years past because they actually look better. There's players that are there, but. It's not because it's New York, you know that that I, I hate to say it, but that notion is no longer in the NBA. It's no, no. longer they're really in sports in general. I mean, would it be nice? Yes, but you know, Giannis has been injury plagued here these last couple of years, and depends on what kind of money you're going to give him. I mean, I'm not trying to knock him, but you know, he's been kind of banged up here these last couple of years. So let's stop with the notion that Giannis is going to the Knicks and be nice. But I'm talking about this for years and years and years. Remember the talk about KD going to the Knicks. They dodged the bullet there. Remember the possible rumors about Kyrie going to the Knicks? The Knicks dodged a major bullet there. Maybe the Knicks might be dodging some there too. But let's 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 stop saying that, please, and stop stop giving me hope. I'm realistic. I know that I know that the Knicks need to be building this from within. That's how they've been getting this done. You know, Jalen Brunson wasn't the most attractive guy to bring in, and they brought him in, and it's worked out great. I mean. I, I still think they overpaid to get Brunson a little bit because they were desperate to have a star. Don't get me wrong. He's played great. But when I, I look at this, 
Yeah. He's been a solid player. He's been a solid that, player, yes. That, Nick, that's part of the problem with the Knicks. There's still no star. Brunson's that's the solid. problem. Barrett, I thought, was going to be a star, but he took a step back this year. Julius Randle, let's be honest, not a star. Good player, not a star. So there's no would, star there yet. I would say he's probably a B-plus type guy. I wouldn't say he's an A or an A-minus. He's kind of like a B-plus guy where – he will he will go off the boards for thirty points uh, a lot, but he's not he's not going to be your leader. He's not going to lead a team to victory and say rah rah, let's go, let's get this team going. It's not what he does. I think B plus B plus is a very solid um, grade for him. I, I would agree with you there. But as far as Milwaukee goes, I agree with you. I think Nick Nurse is the right guy. Boonholz is going to find a job somewhere. It wouldn't be surprised. You know, once you hear about another coach firing, I mean, he's going to be the top target. I mean, the one thing I'll say, and then we can try to move around a little bit in topics, is that we need to stop with all these speculations with the Knicks and Stars. It, if you've looked, again, I'm going to go back to the last 10, 15 years when every speculation we've heard about in the New York organization, LeBron, D. Wade, Bosch, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, yeah. I don't know. You can name any star. I don't know, they have not come to New York. I mean, Carmelo came to New York because he wanted to be in New York for business opportunities. Let's be real here. I don't know if he really wanted to be with the Knicks, but that's where all his business opportunities were. Amari Stoudemire didn't want to be with the Knicks. That's just where the money was. And then it cost him anyway because of the injuries. Yeah. I mean, they totally overpaid for him. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's hurt them and sometimes they've caught a break. And, and also it doesn't always, it doesn't always work. You know, that's right. I actually think I know I know it sucked the last several years to do this, but I think the Knicks have been doing this the right way. Now, right. of course, you know now they've got now they've got a team or so, but you've got it now in such a loaded conference that that's where you that's that's the tri- that's the tough part right now. Right, and by the way, people like seem to forget this. What what happened to Mari Stoudemire? Mari Stoudemire punched in a fire extinguisher glass, which pretty much ended his time with the Knicks. Don't remind me about that in the playoffs. I, I think that was against the Miami Heat, too, if I remember correctly. But I'm just trying to point out to people that sometimes, <laughs> even overpaying for people, it doesn't work out. It, it, it worked out in the first year, but after that, it was a painful process. Yes. All right. But, uh, but yeah, so we'll see. A Boonholzer is going to land somewhere. There's no question. And there will be somebody that's going to get fired or going to, you know, leave. Right. And we'll see. So that's what's going on there with with the NBA. But just um, but keeping on the winter sports, we'll talk briefly about the NHL. You know, I don't have Hank here today, so uh, we'll go through this. We'll go through this quick. Uh, the big, I can't believe the Florida Panthers. You know, and again, this is the same thing we were talking about in the NBA. You know, there's a reason why they got past the best team in the league in the Boston Bruins. They came back from three games to one down. They came back from a one-goal deficit in game, in the final minute of game seven and are dominating the Maple Leafs three games to none. Um, kind of a surprising, but at the same time, you know, the Panthers last year were the be- were, had the most points in the league, so they've been building this team up. Are we um, talking are- dark horse? I'd say kind of because when you look at the Eastern Conference, everybody – it was all about the Bruins. It was all the Bruins. It was, it was the Hurricanes maybe being – that's second team Panthers really were not talked about because nobody gave him a fighting chance in, in hell against the the Bruins and understandably so well if I remember one thing from the statistics because I was looking around a lot of this stuff wasn't it true that there was a 35 point difference between the Panthers and the Bruins when it came to total points 
yes, it was one of the largest point differentials. That's why last week on Game On, I said that I think this was the biggest upset in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Because of point differential, because of how historic the Bruins' regular season was. But that's what's so great about the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, it's, it is so unpredictable. I've always said, if you just get in, you have a, you have a chance. You know, if your goaltending does it, if you outscore. Now, the Panthers really haven't been doing this with goaltending. It's been more scoring because, remember, they – I think they gave like 25 goals or so against the Bruins, but they scored 27 themselves. So they they had out slugged their way kind of. But that was a 3-1 Bruins. deficit, right? It was a 3-1 deficit, and it was a, a one – they were down by a goal in the last minute of game seven. They tied it up, and then they won it seven minutes in overtime. See, that's what's bizarre. And, like, uh, I'll ask you because I don't know anything about this. People were complaining – that the NHL doesn't have a bye in the first round of their playoffs. And I'm like, wait a minute. You lost up 3-1 to one in a series. I don't care what sport you're talking about. If you lose up 3-1, to one, that's on you as an organization. Byes wouldn't really do anything. In they would have been the same thing. They would have the same opponent. I don't think, yeah, it wouldn't make that much. I mean, they, they have changed this around a little bit. I mean, the way the divisions are set up now and stuff. But, I mean, it, I don't think – I think – if you buy, you would have an equal chance for an upset as you do in the regular season. You never know. Oh, right, exactly. But, yeah, so the Panthers look like they're on their way unless the Maple Leafs can pull, come back from three games to none down, which I don't see. So it looked like the Maple Leafs were able to get off the mountain of winning a playoff series for the first time in almost 20 years. But unless something crazy happens here, it looks like they're not going to be able to pass stage number two in that mountain. Uh, the Hurricanes lead the Devils two games to one. And, again, this is kind of like the Devils against the Rangers. Rangers won games one and two pretty decisively, and then the Devils – Came back and won game three. Now, this one's a little different because New Jersey did score three goals in the first period and completely dominated Carolina eight to four. And you know what? I'll tell you what. I know Hank and I said this last week. We really didn't give Carolina a fighting chance here because they've been pretty banged up. But New Jersey not playing Kincaid, uh, I should say Schmidt, in the first uh, game or so was kind of a surpriser. But then they came back to the Prudential Center, completely dominated them, and all of a sudden that – to, uh, in that one. But, I mean, I just thought, of, by the way, 12 goals scored in a game. Oh, we've we've had a lot of offense. You know, the Kraken beat the Stars 7-2 to two the other night, so it's we've had a lot of offense in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, you usually don't see that. You see, usually see more of the lower scoring games, like 3-1, to 2-1, two to 1, two nothing, something like that, but no, we've had We've had a lot of offense so far in the playoffs. By the way, also, didn't the Devils start out 0-2 also against the Rangers? Yep. So, I don't know. I guess the Devils are a glutton for punishment, I guess. But <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the one thing, give Lindy Ruff credit, is he's been able to make adjustments when they have to. You know, the Devils are still kind of a young team. You know, Jack Hughes is their star player that they drafted a couple of years ago who's going who's gonna to eventually become the captain of that team, if not already. Uh, he's... He's been great. You know, they had Luke Hughes, who was like 19 play there, and he scored a goal and an assist on Sunday. So the Devils are right back at it. Uh, pivotal game four for them coming up. Uh, they want to make that a series. But, yeah, I mean, right now, you know, we it looks like Carolina's – I mean, yeah, I should say Florida is going to move on. The Hurricanes and the Devils, all of a sudden, that's a brand-new series. As much as it looks – like it was Rebels winning that game now. They're back at it. The Kraken leading the Stars two games to one. That's a little bit of a surprise. Now, in that series, we had a four-goal performance from Joel Pavelski of the Stars, but that came in a losing effort. Dang. So, again, it just goes to show you how offensive late in these playoffs have been 
even in the second round where we had a four goal score. We actually had that twice in the second round and it just, and it hasn't been enough there for Dallas. I'm see as a fan, I'm, I'm hoping for the expansion conference finals where we would have the crack in against the golden Knights. But I've also said at the same time too, to me and the Oilers and the golden Knights are playing on Monday night. So that series will be different when this, when this show airs. I still, to me, think the Oilers are the team that's going to come out of the West because, to me, they've got the star players. They've got Dreisaitl. They've got Connor McDavid. But that, as we all know, that doesn't mean anything. When we've, when we've seen how this has been, we want to talk about goaltending. Goaltending's not been there in these playoffs. Well, what's weird, though, is, and I look at the NHL a lot more and more lately over the last couple of years, I feel like the NHL is the most competitive, and I think you can almost throw the seeds out the window in the NHL playoffs at times because – Again, we've already seen massive upsets already. We saw Colorado was defending champion out. I mean, yep, first round. You saw the Bruins, who were uh, what's it called the President's Trophy winner, out. But I know there's not a a great historical connection to the President's Trophy winner. So no, I think for the last decade, hard. right? For the last yeah, decade, the last, the yeah. last decade, I think only one one team has made it even to the conference finals. So apparently that that whole president's trophy is more of a jinx than a than a good you know, thing. You know what, Nick? Like you said, it doesn't mean a darn thing. It doesn't matter if you have if you're the eighth seed or you have 135 points in the regular season. You know what? The playoffs that's, are totally different. That's what I think makes the NHL playoffs actually more entertaining at times because you're not surprised when a team sometimes upsets because the playoffs are. I hate to say this, a crapshoot sometimes in the NHL. It, yeah, I mean, it's the only other sport I could compare it to in terms of it being a total crapshoot. It would be college basketball because it's a single elimination. Now, that's totally different. That's single elimination. This is best of seven, but they're they're all things that you never know because all it takes is one game in college hoops, you know, and things could change. Hockey, if your goaltending's not there, and we saw one of the things also with the Bruins is they had to go to their backup goaltender in game seven, and he gave up some very crappy goals. And we've seen goaltending has not been there. This has really been more of an of for the forwards. And that's why if that's going to be the case, you almost would have to give the Oilers there the advantage because they do have hundred points, hundred plus point scores this season in dry and Connor McDavid. Right. And I hope, like you said, like cracking golden Knights, that would be a heck of a, a series. I think you'd have a lot of eyeballs on it. Considering it's the last two expansion teams in the, in the draft. So, so that would be awesome. I mean, you know, Seattle was long for a hockey team and this is their second year and they're, they're there. Remember the the Vegas Golden Knights in their very first year in the league made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Now they didn't win it, but they made it there. So Which they want to try and get back feat. there again. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So I mean, right now I think Florida's going to get in. Now that Hurricane Devil series is a brand new series because the way Carolina had looked in the first two games, I thought they were going to steamroll their way, but New Jersey said not so fast, and they've been a resilient bunch there in New Jersey. As much as it pains me to say that. Uh, as I said, Lindy Ruff deserved a lot of credit for how he handled. I mean, he he outcoached Gerard Gallant uh, in that series, and you know the Devils had only had one real major losing streak during the season too, and that's a young team with you know some very good potential there. And Carolina is more the veteran squad, but you know they didn't seem to be as good as they were in years past. But Wolf Wolf fascinating, I think. You know, the Kraken and the Stars, I think, has seven-game potential. I think the Oilers and the Golden Knights has seven-game potential. But if I'm, if I'm looking talent-wise, and you really don't have to because the playoffs are so unpredictable, the best offensive players in the in of any of these teams are with Edmonton. 
Hmm. What does that mean? Doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> we won't know. But um, the Florida thing is pretty cool. So we'll find out what these series are like. I think these back here on next week on the show one big hockey story though also that broke over the weekend and you know tom brought up in our group chat and i was kind of surprised and i wasn't surprised at the same time and that was gerard gallant uh, a mutual parting of the ways they're calling it out as rangers head coach well so here's the thing so molly walker who you know she she writes for i think it's the new york post she's a hockey reporter too we she had said she had tweeted out that some of the players in their exit interviews were kind of not happy at Gallant. Now there was also a report that Gallant and GM Chris Drury got into it at the end of the season with something. Now, if that report is to be true, then I think there was no way Gallant was going to survive this. Now, do I think Gallant should have stayed after this year? I do because I don't necessarily think this was all his fault. I do think that Lindy Ruff did out coach him at, in the in the last round, and yes, was this year a disappointment from the Rangers' side? Absolutely. When you look at the talent that they had and where they were last year, and look at how possibly the road back to the Eastern Conference Finals would have been, but I'm not sure really if Gallant should have been the one to taking the fall for all of this. No, I I agree with you, and also you have to know who we're dealing with as an owner in this situation. Yeah, I, I didn't want to really go down to James Dolan road and all this but i mean he could have some role in this as well well didn't you say if i remember correctly he kind of has a little more tug in the rangers side or he likes to be a little more involved in the rangers side it's, than the next I side think it's, the, it's the opposite he usually does not it's usually not much with him with the rangers and that's part of the reason that they've actually been one of the more consistent teams in hockey since the lockout of 04 and 05 I wish he would just be the checkbook for both organizations at this point. I I know that sounds horrible and insulting to an owner, but the owner should just be writing the checks. All right, what do we need for this organization? What do we need to do? Let them decide. But doesn't it feel like they've that he has kind of taken a step back and there is kind of no coincidence that the fact that the Knicks are actually, you know, you've had both teams in the playoffs for the first time together in such a long time. Right, but at the same time, why it's not is Gallant, enough? But why is Gallant out? This has to do something with Dolan. I would have to assume. I, no, some I see. I think it's twofold. I mean, I I actually think that the, that report from Molly Walker could have a role in it. But I think this, the if it is true, the thing with Drury, I think definitely has a factor because other than that, I know they were had a down year, but I would not have gotten rid of Gallant. You know, but the thing I. Uh, you, Drury's the GM now, right? He was the former yes. player. He's the GM. So yeah. if you look at the way the organization, all, both his organizations are run, look, he's had unconventional people at his GM spot for both organizations. I mean, heck, you had Phil Jackson being a GM of, of the Knicks organization. Oh. Look how bad look how bad that turned out. My uh, point is... That point is second. Head <laughs> coach. Oh, God. Oh, we live in those days. But my yeah. my point is that he has unconventional people, so they're just going to do whatever they think is right, not what needs to be done for the team. If you remember also how that situation with uh, John Davidson, how they got rid of him with about a week to go in the season. Um, but I think, though, that when you look at it, he does not – Dolan does not put as much stock on the Rangers as he, do, as he does the Knicks. Now, that might have to do with financial reasons or whatnot, but, again, you look at the Knicks – I mean, you look at the Rangers since the lockout of 04 and 05 – you know, they did have a rebuilding couple of years, but otherwise they've been in the playoffs 
almost every season. They've been one of the more consistent teams. That's why I know Hank last week had a rant for the ages. And if you didn't, if you didn't see that, go check it out after this episode. Go back to last week's show, episode fifty-two. He had a rant for the ages, and I think it was in the heat of the moment because if you look at the, the Rangers in the last, let's go almost twenty years. I mean, it's been a far cry from when the pre-lockout days, going from like ninety-eight to two thousand and four. And understand how I'm going to say this. The lockout of 04 and 05 was the best thing that happened to this organization. It sucked that we didn't have hockey for a year and everything else, but for the organization and for how they ran and how their successful has been, that was the best thing that happened to them because it forced them to control their money and stuff. And that is what's going to make this offseason very, very important for the Rangers because their salary cap is going to be kind of tight. So some of these guys that are free agents are probably going to be gone. I think Patrick Kane, uh, he didn't look right at all for whatever reason. Didn't he have zero goals in the playoffs also? A lot a lot of them did. I mean, Artemi Panarin, who's making a lot of money, had two assists and was a minus two. The Rangers, I think, scored 17 goals against the Devils, and one-third of them were from Kreider, who scored five goals in the first two games. You know, your big players didn't didn't, didn't score. Well, that, if, That's like any so, sport, though. If you don't score, you're not going to win. I mean... Yeah, so... Where this is, where this takes the Rangers is going to be very, very was going to be a very busy off, very important off season for them, because, and I put this out in the group chat, and I know, and anybody who's a hockey fan will tell you this: the first name that everybody's going to point to for the Rangers is going to be Joel Quenville. Now, with that being said, Darren Drager put out a very good post about a tweet about this four days ago. He still has to be cleared by the NHL before he returns. You know, he was the Blackhawks head coach who was involved in a scandal, and he's still not been cleared by the league. I think what you're looking at, too, is you're probably going to look at maybe somebody in the Hartford uh, Wolfpack, who's the Rangers minor league uh, affiliate, and you might be going down that road. Yeah, but this is New York. Remember what you're saying here. New York makes a splash in their head coaching spots. Yeah, but, you know, the Rangers don't necessarily do that now. I mean, they did that with John Tortorella years back. But if you remember, they did have David Gordon, who was not really that well-known for a while. So you would think that they would want to make a splash. But I think it's a little bit different when you look at this Rangers team who does have some some homegrown players. I think it's a little different. Again, Joe Quenville is probably going to be a name that's going to be brought up. But remember, he's got to be cleared by the league before he comes back here. Which... I don't know if you're going to get that in time, clearance-wise. But who was yeah. the guy? I'm thinking of the guy in the Islanders. Oh, uh, Trotz. Uh, Barry Trotz would be... Hmm. I mean, it could be. I, I don't see them going down that road, but I never thought about him. Because I, I, I don't know how well his time was with the Islanders, but... It was good, but then they... You know, they were, they just couldn't get over the hump either. And Trotz does have playoff experience, you know, did win a cup with the Capitals. If he's I mean, out there, that would, wouldn't be a bad choice. But the whole Tortorella thing, and I, I just remember that because I remember how loud he was. At- I love Torts. You know, say what you want. Torts is a smart guy. You know, he gets a bad rap sometimes because of how he handles his post-game conferences, but I like him a lot. He has no filter. That's a fact for sure. <laughs> no filter when he's when he's when he's behind the podium or you know, he's getting those in-game interviews from whoever. When yeah. they lose, he is a tough person to talk to. 
he is, but you know, he's also very honest, and I like that about Torts. You know what? I, I, mean, I, I, I yeah. you know, sometimes he could be too hard, and he maybe relies too much on the shot blocking. But I've always liked him. You know what? He went to Philadelphia. That that team was just flat out awful. I mean, no nobody was going to take Philadelphia over the top. So I mean, it was very interesting to see. You know, that's the thing too. We know how Philadelphia likes you know no tolerance guys, and I I didn't like. I didn't think it was going to work out, but I would have loved to. I love to see him there, Philip. How he handled that, and you've seen, you saw sometimes the in-game interviews and the post-game stuff wasn't pretty down there in Philadelphia, and especially when they were losing all that 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 much. I mean, but, I like exciting guys, but I don't think that's good for the Rangers organization by any means. Well, yeah, I mean, they they already had that run with Tortorella. I think my guess is going to be that it's going to be somebody from down in Hartford that did come in a couple of times during COVID and the Rangers did put up a bunch of goals. I could see them going down that road. I, maybe not the conventional road, but I could see them doing that. But I was, I, I, Gallant being out as he was, I think is a bit of a shock. But then again, if the reports are true, then maybe it really isn't. I just hope they don't like go big splash and then it affects them. We'll see what happens. Splashes. Remember again, bunch of free agents, salary cap situation, kind of tight there. Eastern Conference still not that great. So you still do have an opportunity here if you're the Rangers. You may have to change that roster around a little bit. But, you know, you've got your goaltender. You've got your star players there like Zabinijad, Kreider. Uh, you know, I, I would bring back Tarasenko. I think Kane is gone. You So, I mean, you do have your guys. Panarin's another one, too. You I mean, you've you got a foundational piece there. Hopefully they so, figure it out. I think they will. I I trust them. They've been down this. They've been doing this for a while now. Again, twenty years almost in the playoffs every year. A couple of rebuilding years, but I I do trust them. But it's going to be a different road there for the Rangers, and we'll find out what they can do. That's going to be a very very important thing. And I'm sure once we get there, coach, we will definitely talk about it here on Game On. You know, Nick, we haven't spent a lot of time on baseball this year. We've been, I mean, a lot of time bashing good old Rob Manfred and understand. But I do want to talk about the Yankees because. You know, this this Carlos Rodon thing, and I know you and Hank did a live stream, a breaking news live stream when the Yankees signed him. But, boy, I'll tell you, we are still waiting for him to make his Yankees debut, and I think it's going to be a while because this situation with him, it's been problematic. You know, originally... Whenever, whenever you hear the word chronic, that's a problem. The first person I thought about when we were talking about this is, you remember Mike Trout had the yes. chronic back problems? Now... He's back. He's playing all right. He's still the Mike Trout of old, but, you know, you never know. But this concerns me because we're talking about a guy who's already had Tommy John surgery, who's already had elbow problems, and continues to get delayed further and further. And, you know, it's different when it's a pitcher. Yeah. And it, it definitely is different as a pitcher because, again, <clears throat> excuse me, they put a lot of money into this guy. A lot. Yeah. And they're not getting anything from him. They really need him in like the worst way possible. Um, but when they, whenever they put the word "chronic" in front of anything, that means that it's there until his career is basically done. Unfortunately, you know, as much as I like to defend Brian Cashman, you know, the pitching luck for him the last couple of years has not been great. You know, making the trade for Montaz and Trevino. Montaz, Montaz may not pitch this year. He's lost Trevino, for the year, I think. And 
Gravino's having Tommy is having Tommy. So that's not going to work. But ironically enough, you know, pitching hasn't been the problem with the Yankees so far this year. It's been the fact that they just, you know, can't score and can't hit. Well, you look at that lineup, it's like. Yeah, it doesn't help that no. Judge Judge and Stanton are out of the lineup. Um, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if by the time I go to Toronto next week, if either Stanton or Judge are back. I doubt Judge, it. Judge is supposed to be back on Tuesday night. Stanton is still a ways away. Donaldson's still not there yet. But you knew that when you got these guys that this was going to be the case. And by the way, Tom, who also said it well when we were doing ETB, that the Rays games are a big thing. Like they were playing them like six games in 10 days or something with the with the Rays, and they just were not beating them. Uh, Nick, that game on Sunday it was brutal. Was the worst game of the season. I mean, you're up six to nothing. Eight, and you don't beat very them. Very cold on the mound. That game. It's like, th- th- now, I don't want to overreact. You know, we're going to do what we did last year on the show. We're going to have a major league checkpoint. We're going to spend a good amount of time on baseball doing our checkpoint, probably around Memorial Day, if not right afterwards. I I, I have to tell you this, and I'm, I don't think it's going to be popular. I think Aaron Boone is doing a tremendous job this year. Because if you look at this roster, the fact that he's got this roster just about 500 is actually incredible. The pitching's been fantastic. There's no doubt about it. But you tell me right now, I'm going to read you a list of the Yankees that are hurt. And I know some of them are going to be coming back. But listen to this: these names of these players. I put this in our group chat uh, a week ago. But listen to these names. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Carlos Rodon, Luis Severino, Harrison Bader, even though he's back, Josh Donaldson, Frankie Muntaz, Jonathan Loisega, Tommy Canely, Lou Trevino, Ben Royvert, Scott Efros, Luis Heal. You can't win that way. If you're just going to be a mount of injuries, you're not going to win. Now, the problem the Yankees are going to have this year. Now, remember, last year they got off to such an unbelievable start. I mean, I think at this time last year they had an eight-game lead. Um, they, well, they had a cushion. That that what took them all the way yeah. to the end. And, and they, they had injuries it. too. That was another yeah. problem. But <laughs> the difference this year is this division is is strong, is deep. You know, not only is it the Rays, and I don't expect them to be playing 28 and 7 baseball for the rest of the season, but you still have the, you still have the Rays. You've still got the Blue Jays, who I know you're going to see next week. You've got the Orioles, who I got to tell you, I think the Orioles are legitimate. I don't think this is a fluke. I think they've got some good, young, scrappy guys there. You know, we know about Rutschman, the catcher. We know they got uh, that guy. I think it's Henderson, the young kid. I think he's a third baseman. Yeah, I mean, he's the big prospect. He's very good. Up. Yeah, and I hate to say this, as much as I can't stand the Red Sox and I don't like their team, they are going to be a spoiler in some days. They are not, you know, they are not going to be the team that you know I thought was going to lose a hundred games and be lifeless. There are times that they are going to put up runs this year. And annoy some teams. But I think they're playing way better that, for now than people thought. I think eventually they're going to come down a lot more. I think so, are. too. But every now and then, you know, they're going to run into a night where they're going to score 10 runs. Right. But their pitching is going to be a struggle. I just – that's what made the game on Sunday so bad. Because, you know, Cole's pitching, and he's been pretty much like the Cy Young Award winner for so far, the MVP for the first month or so of the season. Oh, let let me ask a question. So 
with a six nothing lead in Garrett Cole in the mouth, what percentage do you give that there's a loss there? Oh, uh, you don't want me to. You don't want me to be like the graphic that they put on the TV about or the <laughs> the win probability percentage, right? <laughs> Rob Every- Manfred's loving this right now. I mean, no, but, you mean that stupid graphic where they say it's 0.2%. Well, that's forget it. You know, that's that's not even now Apple TV Plus. That's pretty much everywhere. That's on ESPN. Even MLB Network at times does yes. it. To answer your question, I would have put it at 98%. I mean, it's so funny now because they're like when someone, when a pitcher throws a fastball and it gets hit out of the ballpark. Well, on a 2 1 pitch with two outs in the. In this inning, the percentage is, and I feel like they just randomize her and just throw it up there on the screen. Uh, like you know, the thing is, you know, here's the thing: it's like the Apple TV thing where they had that thing in the lower right hand corner. And you know, I love the people who are part of Apple TV, but that those graphics and the fact that you can't see the games on t uh, on regular TV is it's just too much, right? Uh, that's just I think it's for gambling thing purposes. That's that's what it is. Because you don't you don't see that in any of the sport. You don't see in basketball, at least not yet, the win percent the 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 possible the chances of Steph Curry making this three point shot. It's not this, happening, guys. With this at this minute of this quarter, at this point of the game, like no, stop. I'm not gonna be a sports fan anymore if they're gonna keep doing that. And by the way, and this is gonna sound awful because again, you and I are baseball fans, but I basically I- ignore the Wednesday games during the Yankee season. Oh, because of the Amazon. Amazon. No, and that's too. There were, and I there have were... Amazon. I could watch the games if I technically wanted to. But <laughs> it's, it, it's just, it's getting to be very, very difficult with that. But here's what I would say about the Yankees. I think at some point they're going to, you know, take off They've had years in the past where they've gotten off to these slow starts and they get it going. But right, um, I think this team is in trouble though until they can figure out the offense. It's not the pitching. The pitching is actually pitching halfway decent. Well, the thing is, I mean, you just look at the you look at their lineups, and I'm like, how are they supposed to? How are they supposed to do this? Actually, their offensive actually has been better these last couple of days. But I mean, when you look at their lineup. I mean, how what is they it? Get Frenchy Cordero is in the lineup. I mean, like, I mean, just you know, look at some of these names. I mean, you, I mean, you have days, you have days with DJ LeMay, LeMay who was batting cleanup. I mean, here's another issue, and for some reason, the Yankees will not address it. Aaron Hicks needs to be DFA'd. I don't know why he's still there. Because the Yankees are trying to prove a point. Hey, we don't need to get rid of people. We want to keep people for cheap. Well, Hicks is making $10 million a year. Well, that's considered cheap on a contract side, if you think about it. Most guys are making $20, $30, 40000000 million now. And, and my fellow friends and Yankee fans, stop bringing up Jason Dominguez. He is not ready yet. He's he not will be there, up. but he is not ready yet. It's not that much of a panic. Yankee fans are panicking up the wazoo. And you, by the way, Yankees fans should, should be concerned because the offense is not hitting right now. And Aaron Judge is hurt and Stanton is hurt. Yeah. But... This is normal for the Yankees at this time of the year, pretty much. It, it, they do this a lot. It's just I think the difference is just the ro- the the lineup does look weak and the division's just tougher. That's what uh, that's the yeah. that that would be my one concern is Orioles who you could feast on or you could have the maybe in the old days the Blue Jays or so, but even the Rays good and right and you would, you could play them more. 
now you're not playing those teams as much as well, in years past. I think all the divisional series are down minus three, if I'm not mistaken, right? No, I think they're only playing 13 times instead of the 19. Oh, was it more? It's more. I, I thought it, I thought they said that each divisional rivalry series, because those are usually 19-20 games, I thought they, they just shaved off three each. I think they should one three. series each, home and away, so that's six right there. Which means right. the Yankees don't have as much ground, or going to have the ground to make up stuff. I, you know, like I said, we'll do a checkpoint at the end of this month or into June, and we'll see where they are. I, they do this a lot, and it's such a long season. I mean, you know, it's the same thing with the Mets. I think a lot of people are overreacting, but we will get to that at some point. Nick, you know, I love horse racing. I love talking about the, the 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 triple crown. You know, I always look forward to the first Saturday in May every year. You've got the Kentucky Derby. Well, this year, before even race day, you were getting all of these scratches. And then the day of, you find out that Forte, who was the favorite, was scratched. And this ended up becoming the shortest field in uh, a few years for the Derby. And Mage did win the 149th Derby. Now, this was a field of 18. And and you say that, and you saw horses coming in off the also eligibles list, like 22, 23, and 24. But, you know, the, the big thing with this is, and, you know, Churchill down to with what's been going on with uh, the horse deaths. Yeah, no, this was a fun this was a fun event. Obviously the massive concern. <clears throat> I don't I don't know if we want to flip banners here and talk about that, but the race was good. I always think the Kentucky Kentucky Derby is interesting every year, but you get all these headlines. And I guess as we're going to talk about, we kind of really need to talk about this, which is seven horses passing away in recent days at Churchill Downs. Yeah. And like I remember seeing it in the AP. By the way, the AP did a really good job on breaking this whole situation down story-wise um but this should be a massive concern if you're a horse racing fan and at one of the biggest events i don't know the derby i guess would be considered the biggest out of all the the majors right in that regard yeah so seven horses we're not talking about one we're not talking about two we're talking about seven not that first of all no horses should be dying before the race that's a that that let me say that first and foremost we had the incident yeah. with with uh, Bob Baffert, who was ironically came off his two year suspension after the Derby was over. Yeah, so that, that suspension wasn't long enough, by the way. But I digress. Oh no i I don't think he should have been allowed to come back. That's my whole opinion on it. But I don't know. What do you make of the seven horses, though? Passing so we away. had so two of them died on Derby Day itself, and Forte was scratched the day of. So. Uh, Chloe's Dream, a three-year-old gelding, Freezing Point, a three-year-old colt were injured in their races on the Derby undercard. Now, when I think of this, the first thing I could think about is it has to do something with the track condition. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. Because if you remember, I don't know if you do remember this, but there was a few years ago, Santa Anita, a, ra- a, a track out in California, had horses dying a, a lot on the training track, on during the races themselves. And I think they determined that there was like a track condition or something. They actually shut the track down for, for a bit to try and, and straighten it up. Was that the but, one that, that closed and basically they had to do major renovation and basically they stopped like, I think it was like a year plus, wasn't it? I, I don't think it was that long, but it was, it was a little bit of time that they had to close it down and, and do this. Um, so when you look at, when you, uh, Churchill Downs, 
said in a statement Saturday night, there has been no discernible pattern detected in the injury sustained. But just look at, at um, just look at the horses just on Saturday alone. Chloe's dream suffered a fractured right front knee while leaving the first turn during Saturday's second race. Freezing point pulled up inside the six furlong marker with a left ankle injury during the eighth race. That was on Saturday. This is bizarre. And you would know this better than me, but <laughs> the training is very important on the horse racing aspect of stuff. Where well, that would, Yeah, that would be the next thing I would say. As you continue to read this, investigate, uh, this story and investigate it, Two of the horses that died earlier in the week were, um, and this actually is something else you, you hear about, uh, Safe Joseph Jr., a trainer, suspended, although investigators have yet to determine causes for the death of the horses. And the thing is, this is becoming a big problem. The sport has been, already been dealing with doping suspensions and breakdowns, and now you've got this on top of it. It's not a good, It's not good at all. I mean, not to, well, I don't want, I'm not going to say that saying because that's a horrible thing to say now. But my, what I was going to say is when you look back at Baffert and you look at, I just remember how ridiculous the excuse he made was with uh, Medina Spirit. Yeah. Where like it was a whole thing where the horse ate the hay and like the whole nonsense. And what did he say like that? The horse basically urinated on the on the on the hay and then ate it. Yeah. And, and I'm like, come on, come on, really? That and he got suspended because again, Baffert and I was I don't know who I was telling about this the other day. Baffert reminds me of the Patriots organization. <laughs> yes, because the Patriots were bending rules to basically do whatever it took to win. Baffert is the same way. He basically was stretching, stretching rules to get by and people don't remember it didn't happen before the race and i was asking a bunch of questions about this the other day if he failed the post-race drug test how did he get on the course to to even be in the race i i don't know how they they do it in the beginning um but you look at the horses that have died and have been coming up have been pulling up lame and stuff like that some of them have been during training, but the training track, I believe, for the most part, when they train, it's on the same track. So I'm just putting my investigative mind together. There's got to be a track condition that's going on here. I agree. That's, that's where I'm starting to think about. It. And if they find that out, then you know Churchill's going to be shut down. Now they don't I mean, race Churchill Downs. They don't race year round there. But they're definitely going to have to do something. And again, I remember with Santa Anita, this happened over there too, where they had to shut it down and they, they had to, you know what, knock on wood, it's been, everything's been all right over there. But I kind of I think mean, that that's where we're going at with this. I mean, long story short, seven horses. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, it, that's, I mean, it was bad enough when it was four. And then you have two more the day of the, day of the derby. <laughs> and also, it's I mean, what's different about the horse race racing side of things. A lot of times it's injuries that lead to youth, uh, euthanization. Yep. So it's not like they just died. Like they, uh, that's unfortunately the name of the game in the horse racing business. Like you get hurt and they can't be used anymore. And then it's an awful situation, but I don't know. 
I think Churchill Downs is eventually going to get shut down, at least temporarily, until they figure out what's going on. By the way, the first time that as many that as many as five horses had been pulled from the from the Kentucky Derby since 1936. It's a rarity. And the 18 horses was the smallest field since the 2020 Derby, which ran in September because of the of the pandemic, and it featured just 15. So, very. I think we're going to hear more about this eventually. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an investigation that's going on, but it's definitely not a good look. And, you know, horse racing is a, is a sport that's been uh, in, like I said, mired in controversy with the Baffert stuff. And unfortunately, you know, the uh, injuries that these uh, equine athletes have been dealing with here. And again, when I'm just, when I read the article and when I, what me personally, somebody who likes watching horse racing, when I try and put two and two together, there's when they're telling you that it's training, I, as much as you want to maybe put on the trainers to me, there's gotta be a track condition. I I think that's what it's, what it's pulling up as. Right. And I don't know. We'll see what happens. Seven horses is a lot. And again, it's also ironic that Bob Baffert's suspension ended after the, the Derby. So, and, there, and there was uh, there was another trainer that was that was suspended. We talked about Sapphire Joseph Jr. He was suspended in death, the sudden death of his two horses, uh, while Lord Miles, who was trained by Joseph, was scratched from the Derby. So it's an indefinite suspension which prohibits him or any trainer directly or indirectly employed by Joseph from entering horses in races or applying for stall occupancy at all Churchill Downs Incorporated racetracks. Damn. Wow, um, and he's he's a thirty six year old third generation trainer. Damn, um, but that makes you wonder that it's training that's that's doing that, right? We'll see. So I don't know. I mean, again, I, I, my my feeling is, my feeling is telling me that this is this is going to be that this has to do with a track condition. Right. We'll see what happens. <laughs> But yeah, no, absolutely. But a very sad thing after, you know, the Kentucky Derby, which is supposed to be a very, you know, festive day. And it still was. But of course, you know, this was in your mind as well. And definitely, you know, if you're a a gambling person or a wagering person on horses, I mean, it's definitely shook up the the Derby with the favorite Forte who had won five straight races uh, going into Saturday being scratched. Um, But yeah, and we don't know now, and they said it's still up in the air if he's going to raise Preakness in two weeks on the twentieth. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. Kind of a sad way, but you know the race was still good, um, and we'll find out, Mage, if if he's going to run in the in the Preakness in two weeks. We'll see if there's uh, anything special. Yeah, we'll definitely find out some more. And if there's more information, if there's anything legitimate, I mean, if there's any big news that comes out of this. Uh, we will definitely let you you know, and uh, we will mention here on Game On. But that's going to put a wrap on episode 53 of the show. That seemed like it went by really quick, but that's what it always does. Uh, there is one scheduling thing we do want to tell you about before we get out of here. So um, without knowing any information right now as we're recording this, but the 2023 NFL regular season schedule will be officially released on Thursday. So we will get answers to some questions you know, we were talking about it, um, you know, a little behind the scenes here. We were talking about it in our group chat. There was, Nick, you might even mentioned it on ETB last week. 
from Brian Baldinger that uh, he brought up the possibility that it could be Jets-Giants in week one, which as a Giants fan, I have no problem trying to get the Jets out of the way. We have bigger and more important things to deal with than the Jets, so I have no problem. You want to get that out of the way in week one. But some scheduling changes to watch for on Thursday. NFL is going to have a Black Friday game for the first time ever. We knew about that when that report came out last year. So um, when you're going Black Friday shopping, you come back and check out Amazon Prime, and they'll have a Black Friday game. Games don't necessarily belong to networks anymore. All games are free agents. So something to watch there. On Thursday Night Football twice. So something there. And uh, not all teams are guaranteed to have a primetime spot. So those are some good nuggets from Adam Schefter regarding the schedule this season. So, uh, you know, when we do our football picks come this upcoming see those, that's what you will have to watch. So schedule comes out officially on Thursday. It gets released at, uh, eight p- at 8 PM Eastern. That's when the schedule will come out. I think it's on ESPN or two and the NFL network. Just a couple of the highlights. The, ske- the season schedule will, feature 14 playoff rematches from last season, which is the most in a season in NFL history, including rematches of the Super Bowl, Chiefs-Eagles, both conference championship games, Bengals-Chiefs and 49ers-Eagles, and all four divisional games, Bengals-Bills, Jaguars-Chiefs, Cowboys-49ers, and Giants-Eagles. It's not bad. That's what's going on. Yeah, I mean, we know the opponents, but now we'll finally put the schedule together so we will react to that next week here on the show so you can see we're already starting to plan out episode 54 as we wrap up episode 53 but that's going to put a wrap on the show for us of course funny ways for you to interact with us even post show and leading into the future follow us on social media we're on facebook and twitter at game on etb instagram game on underscore etb our personal handles right there you can also subscribe to our youtube channel youtube.com slash etb network if you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, hit the subscribe button. And, of course, have your notifications set when you have, so you can know when all of our programming is coming out. Also, check out our website, etbpodcasts.com, where you can check out all of our shows. You can check out great blog, great blog posts like from my co-hosts, Hank and Victor, on there as well. And you can also check out our shows on our audio-only platforms on AppI, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We were going to be on there as well. So, Nick, good to see you. Thanks for filling in today. This was fun. We got through a lot today. Absolutely. That's what Game On is always about. There's always something going on. And uh, you can catch, of course, Nick along with Tom Obano over on Empty the Bench on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, where I will be on a week from Thursday. Just a little shameless plug there. And um, and all of this stuff, you can also check out Tom, of course, with Zan over on the MMA Outsiders as well. And uh, Nick, since I won't see you next week, have a great time up in Toronto. No, I'm going to have fun. It's the first time I've seen the Yankees outside of New York. Absolutely. And you deserve a nice little trip up there. So for Nick Morgan, everybody have a great week. And we'll catch you again on Game On next week.